0: My friends over at serenitynewsletter.com have a special opportunity open to those interested in learning advanced investing techniques in the crypto space. This membership is of the highest quality and is run by a dear friend of mine who happens to manage one of the most successful crypto hedge funds in the world. Crypto is the future, and those who make smart plays now have an opportunity to earn life-changing returns. Go to serenitynewsletter.com to watch a special video presentation now. That's serenitynewsletter.com. Hey everyone, Mikkel here. So before we get into today's episode, I just want to mention to you that you need to check out all the work we're doing on social media. So don't worry about Instagram, don't worry about LinkedIn, don't worry about Pinterest and those types of things. Where you're going to find me is on Twitter. Every single day I'm on Twitter. We're sharing a lot of the thoughts, a lot of the tips, a lot of the breaking news is coming out on Twitter. And then add to that our Expat Money Forum. We are doing so much amazing things in the forums. There's special content that's not found anywhere else. There's a lot of networking. There's just so much happening on this forum that I really hope you get a chance to participate. And you can access that at expatmoneyforum.com. So find me on Twitter at Thora or join the forum at Expat Money Forum. Okay, enjoy today's episode. Welcome, welcome, welcome. My name is Mikkel Thorpe, this is the Expat Money Show, and today's guest left his 9-to-5 job in corporate America nearly two years ago to travel the world with his wife. With a single backpack each, they flew to Santiago, Chile with one-way tickets that would start their journey around the world. They have checked off bucket list locations like Machu Picchu, Galapagos Islands, the Sistine Chapel, the Taj Mahal, and are adding new destinations monthly. Please welcome to the show Matt Javitt. Matt, how are you doing?
1: Wonderful. Thanks for having me. I'm excited.
0: Me too. I'm really happy to have you on here because I want to hear a lot about your experiences with leaving that corporate America job. So why don't you take a couple of minutes and kind of talk us through your backstory and how this all came about.
1: Yeah, as you said, we've been traveling full time now since February 2017. My wife and I, out of a single backpack each, we've been to all these amazing places and and cities around the world. And during our travel, we're trying to find creative ways to keep our costs down because we are on a budget, a budget that we saved over the years to get to this point. But we also try to get involved with the communities that we visit and network with locals to understand what's really happening in the, in the towns and cities that we're at while having a great time and seeing some of the sites that you described. Before living out of the backpack, we had amazing lives in Indianapolis, Indiana in the States where I was a top performer as a sales executive for an international IT consulting company. You said nine to five. I, I wish those were my hours. It was more <laughs> like it was. It was more like a seven to seven or a seven to even nine. But through those years, I won five international sales awards that were celebrated around the world, which ended up feeding my travel bug big time. My wife was a clinical pharmacist at one of the top university hospitals in the states. So the decision to leave wasn't an easy one. It was one of those where. Um, We were at our highest earning potential at that time. We've worked a long time. And as a sales person, I know you talk to a lot of entrepreneurs, but in the sales world, even at the corporate level, like I was doing, a lot of that is kind of an entrepreneur spirit, if you will, because you have your own book of business. You build a a Rolodex of of relationships and, and clients, I guess, partnerships. So to walk away from that, especially in the corporate world, you walk away with nothing. So for us to do that and the process to do it and the, our conversations at night when we were thinking about doing it was a difficult one, even though we had these amazing labs and we loved hanging out with our friends and family at home. And Nikki, my wife's family's from Chicago. So we'd go see them often and, and um, we volunteered with a lot of different efforts. So it was, it was tough, but we just, the, the travel bug pulled us so much that we just decided to do it and, and we hit the road. And and now we're in this process uh, about a year and a half in where we're trying to figure out, we're tapping to a lot of the creative side that we didn't have a chance to do because we were working 50, 60 hours a week back home. And now we we get a chance to expand our mind a little bit, uh, appreciate the stillness. And then just kind of the minimal lifestyle that we're living out of the backpack of peace has really helped us kind of understand kind of who we are for this next phase of our life, if you will.
0: No, I love it because it's amazing how little you have to have to actually be happy. Now, like you said, a lot of my guests on the show are entrepreneurs, and we talk entrepreneurship all the time, and, and everything is get money, get money, get money, build the business, but often people forget about building the lifestyle, and I think that's a, that's something that you guys have really focused in on. You left behind so much, but you took a chance, and you moved forwards, and you gave things up because you you had a dream of moving Overseas and, and traveling the world, so I commend you for that. I think that's really amazing.
1: Yeah, thank you. And it's one of those things that a lot of people couldn't wrap their brain around as we were having our conversations and and attempting to do it the right way and talking to a lot of different people, both from our career and personal. They couldn't understand how we could we can walk away from so much. But you know, I think it's one of those things that without having an ego, I think that I have a lot of confidence in, in who I am and in my skills, right? And I think that it's it's one of those things where if you build your build your skill set up enough and you know you have value in the market, then it, it, it just made it an easier decision to know that, hey, what we're doing is gonna be okay because we, we do have money, we did save money to make this happen, but also if we come back with nothing, we still, we have value in the market to be able to start over again. If that makes sense. And we don't, I mean, we don't necessarily want to start over again, but I don't think we're, we're not afraid to if we have to.
0: No, that makes sense completely. So talk to me about some of those challenges when you actually left your corporate job in the States and those challenges of, you know, speaking to your family, setting things up, getting rid of your possessions. I want to break these things down a little bit.
1: I guess the biggest challenge early on was, especially in in the corporate sales world, there's always a big deal coming, especially if if you're a high achiever and you're doing your job and you're you're performing at a high level and I was doing multi-year, multi-million type deals. There's always going to be something in the pipeline that you're like, oh my God, I'll just wait until I close this deal. Because especially when you've got base pay, commissions and bonus, as you're closing deals that sometimes those bonuses can be really big, and it's like, how can I walk away from this? And when does it make sense to walk away? So you're always challenged with the idea of it's going to always be better next year. So we, we kind of battled that for a couple of years, like, OK, let's let's get this much money to save and then we'll go do it. And then when we got there, we're like, well, I've got this other deal in the pipeline. And now then Nikki transitioned to a, a better job at her work. And it's like, OK, well, maybe next year. So we kept kind of having these battles internally, like we know we want to do this. But how can we do it in the best way for us? And then you don't want to burn bridges. So kind of getting through that mental blockage of, hey, at some point we just got to go do it because um, I'm 42 now. And we felt like our window would be closing. And the idea that if I come back to corporate world, then it's going to be easier for me to reenter at 44, 45 than it would be if we wait another five or six years and for me to reenter at 50 or 50 or 55. You know what I mean? So we kind of had to get through that. And then as we said, okay, we're doing this, and that was kind of a gradual process too, because I essentially, I bought a one-way ticket to, to Chile. And then three months later, I came down and I said, hey, I bought it. And that, that ticket in Chile, I bought in April for a destination we were leaving in February of the next year, February, 2017. So I bought that in April of 2016. And then I bought our next one way from Ecuador to Lisbon in June. And then I came down and told her in August, I said, Hey, I just bought us another one way from Rome to Delhi to get us in India for a couple months. And at that point, it was it was getting real. And at that point, we we're about six months out. And we said, Okay, this is gonna happen. We're gonna do this. So we started planning and then you gotta start taking care of your finances. You said selling things. We always we always kind of lived in a minimal minimal lifestyle. So we actually we kept our condo back in Indianapolis and we, we did get rid of our cars, we got rid of some stuff. But I had to get through that process of making sure your money's in different places to, to be able to tap into to, to different accounts when needed. And then also just the idea of kind of wrapping up your house before you leave.
0: So what did you do with the house? It's out on Airbnb or how did that work?
1: No, it stinks because part of our homeowners association is that we can't put our house on Airbnb. I would love to do that. But I actually have an aunt that's in it now. It was, it was vacant for about a year. And now my aunt um, from Florida is oh, wow. in it and um, she's living in there during the summers while she part-time lives in Florida in the winter. So that's that's been nice to have, have a body in it just to, to be able to watch it and manage it.
0: And then how long was the exit plan for you guys to actually get ready for this big move?
1: So we purchased our first ticket 10 months out, but we got pretty heads down about six months. And then within f- as four months hit, then we were really get all of our fin- financial information in order, do like, We've always had all of our wills and trusts and everything in in line, but kind of tighten all that up and begin to share it with family. And we told family members in December, I had a weird scenario where, like I said, I I bonus in January. And that was the the part of the process of us leaving at the end of February was get the bonus, make sure I do everything the right way, and then leave the company. And and I've been there for nine years and I had a big book of business and I had a lot of consultants that worked for me. I I was in the um, IT services industry. Not a lot of consultants that work with me, a lot of great relationships with my clients, but you just, when it comes to money, you just never know. And, and when you're when you're talking about certain levels of bonuses, you want to be able to trust the companies you work for, but you just you just never know. So I just I wanted to play it this smart. I wanted to make sure I got my bonus, but the reality was I was put in a very difficult position by um, our CEO that I have a, a great relationship with, and. I was looking at potentially taking over another strategic account and he really wanted me to do it. This is December. He's having this conversation with me in December.
0: And then the back of your head, you know that you're leaving in the next eight weeks or so.
1: Yeah. But I couldn't do him wrong and I couldn't do the company wrong. So I had, I basically had to pull him into my, we're in a, we're in a meeting with, with him and, and four of the top leaders in our company. And I had to just pull him to my office and, and just say on a one-on-one conversation, I just had to say, look, I can't do this to you, but I'm leaving. The, the company in, in, in about two months and then he, we talked through that and he I tried to let him understand what I was doing about traveling the world full time. he didn't quite grasp it right away
0: <laughs> A lot of people don't it yeah. doesn't make sense to a lot of people and it, was, it
1: was it was a fun interesting conversation, but then he got it he understood it and we were okay and we actually had a dinner that night It was a nice experience and then we had cigars even later that night he, he put me on the spot to tell, my direct boss and a couple of the other VPs like what I was doing in that meeting um, because we were at this point he was the only one that knew and I had to tell those guys and then they were like whoa what is going on and then I had the chance to explain it and a couple of um, one of the gentlemen in particular was like Matt good for you this is amazing and during that conversation with the CEO his name's Raj he's an amazing guy and so supportive and he's been extremely supportive on on our journey but I actually spent time at his house in Chicago and his wife was texting d- during the dinner and the cigars. And he said, and he showed me the text. And she was like, and he was, she basically said, how's your day? And he said, well, Matt just told me that he's leaving the company to travel the world. And she responded back, good for him. I'm, I'm so happy he has the courage to do that. And then, so I think it sunk in at a little bit at that time. And then about five minutes later, he showed me a text from her that said, you know, I wish we would have done that. And at that point, I think he understood like, okay, maybe what he is doing is pretty cool. And it's not like he wasn't supportive all the the, the entire four hours before that, but I think it kind of clicked in and then everything from those next eight weeks was flawless. I I essentially just created my transition plan, worked with my clients and, and my internal team to make sure everything was smooth. And I basically worked until I stepped on the airplane. Uh, and then i was even su- doing a, a little bit of support while we were in um chile in that first month.
0: Well, i would imagine it would be difficult for someone to get angry at you for that because you're not leaving the company to, you know, go to one of the competitors, you're not leaving the company to branch out on your own and take your books with you. You know, you're leaving the company so that you can go travel the world and follow, you know, one of your dreams and spend more time with your wife and explore earth. Like how can someone get mad at you for that? Absolutely, I think a lot of people have fears about these types of things. But actually, like in your story, you just explained it's not as bad as you thought. Actually, people were very supportive of you. It's amazing,
1: extremely supportive. and it's kind of twofold. we We all think that we're we're super important, right? that we that, oh my God, if I leave this this company or if i if I leave this position, what are they going to do without me? And it's like, you know, everybody steps up. every that somebody else is going to step into your, your spot. And even if it takes one or one and a half or two people to do kind of the same level of work that you were doing, there's always going to be a transition and things are going to be okay. And uh, I think we get wrapped up in the idea that we're, we're so important to our position or our job that, Hey, it's, it's okay. Like, those were the conversations my wife and I were having on, as we were doing this transition. It's like, look, people are going to be okay. Because the reality was, I helped create hundreds of jobs in in my near years there and, and Some people did depend on me to get them jobs and get them an appointment, but it was like, you know, somebody else is going to step into this role. Somebody else is going to be as money hungry as I was. They might not do the relationships the way that I did, but these people will be okay. And I think we just have to kind of get out of our own ways and get out of our own egos in that regard and just realize that good things will happen, even though if you think that you're so important, you know what I mean?
0: Oh, it makes sense completely. Talk to me about some of the challenges you've had while on the road. So you arrived in Chile. How was that to start off with?
1: You know, it's one of those things, like I said, that we were, I, I worked until I stepped on the airplane. So those first, probably that first month, probably first two months was more of a vacation mentality with my wife and I, than a, this is our lifestyle. Cause we knew we were going to be on the road for at least two and a half years. It's too, too, too about 26 to 27 months we were going to be, um, that was the plan. But once you get on the road, you're, you're still kind of in a vacation mindset because you've never done anything like this because I I've worked my tail off my entire life. You know what I mean? From, I played college basketball and I was an academic all American. Then I transitioned, got my MBA by the age of 24 while I was coaching. So I was, I was always like full time something. And I always like balanced side projects and side hustles with, working full-time and so it was always one of those things where I was always extremely busy and my wife as well she's got her doctorate in pharmacy and she had an amazing career doing what she was doing so for us to step off that airplane and kind of just chill we were in vacation mode and then then you get three four six weeks into it and you're still kind of in vacation mode you're taking everything in you're having a blast then it it kind of at some point it sets in like wow this is our lifestyle this is what we're going to do for over two years it's relieving and it's amazing and you start to you start to tap into some creative things and you for us we started to write more and kind of just experience life in a different way and your mind really begins to open up because it's not bogged down by some of the the minor things that we think are so important in our in our lives back home so that that was quite a transition and then after like three months or so we were in south america for about three and a half months then we transitioned to, to southern europe and then that that begins to get new again, you know what I mean? because they're totally different parts of the world, and there's so so many things to experience. so it's it's been this constant transition, but at the same time it's it's really helped us to, to open up to new experiences and really let our minds drift to to new opportunities that we always knew were, were there, but it's given us a chance to to open up in a new way.
0: Yeah, I really find that at the beginning of a trip, you are still you. You're just not going to work every day. You are you're still you. You still behave the same way even though you don't have the bills to pay and you don't have the same type of responsibilities. You still behave in the same manner. But after a couple of months, it's like you're a different person. Your whole mentality, your whole outlook, things start to shift and it can be quite profound.
1: Absolutely. And then especially if you're if you're going to Certain locations around the world. I mean, we we definitely shifted in South America when we were there. When we went to some offbeat cities that aren't so touristy, and you get a get a real chance to talk to locals, understand their culture, and then just see what people are living without. And they don't. It doesn't even affect them. It doesn't even matter. And at this point, Nikki and I are at that. We were two months into a single backpack, so we've adjusted to the idea that we don't need anything. And then your your mentality begins to shift where. We're so used to buying things on a regular basis. And once you get out of that mentality of purchasing things, just because your, your mind might think that you need to purchase things, it just it begins to shift. It, it helps you in ways you couldn't imagine. And then then you're going back to Europe where it's very established. There's a, there's a lot of the, the niceties of, of home infrastructure solid and, and things like that. And then to spend two months in India where India has got it's basically this controlled chaos you look at it from the outside and you're like, how does this operate? How are there eight different types of vehicles on the road? Two of them are going the wrong way and there's people walking with scooters and um, they've got, (laughs) they're carrying 800 pounds worth of stuff. And there's three three people on their scooter. It's just, you look at it like, there's no way this should work, but it works flawlessly. You you barely see any accidents and there's 25 million people in the city and it just, it just goes. And so to be there two months and, and to see how they treat family and the, the closeness and the kindness they treat people, but at the same time, it, it, it's it's tense and people are very driven. They're and they're fighting for their own way because there's really no social network to help the extreme poverty that's there. It just shifts you again. And so we've had it's we've been lucky where we've kind of balanced our travels from kind of niceties like we're as we're in Zurich, Switzerland. Now it's amazing. It's it's gorgeous, and you you kind of get this. The, the back and forth of amazing locations, but then having your eyes open to, to places that don't have as much. So it's, it's been a blast in that way. And to be able to experience it with my wife um, has just been a, a dream come true.
0: So talk to me a little bit about Meetup and other things like that, because before we pushed record today, we we're having a little bit of a chat about some of those types of platforms that you guys can use to meet people and to incorporate yourselves and make friends in those different communities and societies that you visit.
1: Yeah. So the, the ones that we've used that have worked the best, I, I think there's, there's several. So we do Airbnbs to stay almost probably 90% of the time. And half of those are usually shared living where we're living with somebody else. And that's great because it keeps the cost down, but it also gives us an instant host where um, we can tap into their knowledge, understand quickly, what locals are doing, not off of a list that you find online, but more like, well, what, do you, what are people around here doing? So that's a great way to, to tap into either friend networks or just to have a host that's that's kind enough to show you the way quickly. Um, so Nikki and I can work through that. And then there's there's websites like workaway.info where you volunteer your services. And you, at that point, um, we've decided to do basically bed and breakfasts with, with our skills. And that means cleaning toilets, cleaning bedrooms, making beds, greeting guests, letting the, the guests know what they th- what things are great to do in that town, particular town. But those have been great because they give you instant networks because there's other volunteers. They give you a free place to stay and um, sometimes a free meal. But it's again, it inserts you quickly into the locals that are doing similar things that you not, not only travelers, but the, the, the managers of the hotel. So that's a great way that we've done those in Chile, Ecuador, a, a month in Greece and a month in South Africa. Again, keeps the cost down, but lets us meet locals quickly. And then meet up, like you said, I've used that to continue to, to talk technology with people, uh, get a chance to I used it this week to just go smoke cigars with a few, few local guys. And that was great because they told me their experiences in um, Switzerland. And uh, one guy was from America, so he, but he's been living here for four years. So it was a chance to give me some perspective on what it's like um, um, with the high cost of living and and all the different things he sees on a regular basis. And so that's been neat. And then there's there's even, we're actually in Zurich, we're doing a pet sit and a house sit where we're watching two cats. And these are very low maintenance cats. And we're staying in a home for free, a two bed, uh, one and a half bath, um, beautiful neighborhood house outside of Zurich where... It would have been real expensive to be able to see switzerland without something like this so we get a chance to stay here for three weeks we had a chance to meet the couple that were um, hosting the cats for and spend time with them and understand their perspective on all the things we should do while we're here and again it's it's free so those are the way we try to leverage that and we've also volunteered on the road in orphanages and stuff like that it's just a, a great way to tap into local networks quickly and our whole goal on the travel was understand the cultures. We like seeing the sites, like you mentioned, Taj Mahal, Machu Picchu, things like that. We do like seeing the sites because from a history standpoint, uh, it's, it's really important. But at the same time, it's, it's more about the people that you meet along the road and then tapping into their culture, understanding the foods they eat and, and the, uh, the events and the music and what brings their families together. Those are the things that will really stick with us for the rest of our lives. And uh, those are things that will help us grow the most.
0: A lot of times people seem to believe that to travel the world, they need to work their whole lives, save up their money, and then at retirement, they're going to have enough money to travel. And I really think that you can actually go today. There are so many options out there. And you just named a whole bunch of really fantastic ones. Like today... Yes, I love to travel. If you followed me on Instagram, I like to travel business class. I like to stay in five-star hotels. But when I started, it was a backpack, a jar of peanut butter, and I would just hitchhike. I was just hitchhiking around the world, and money was not going to stop me from doing the things that I wanted to do. And there are ways to travel around the planet based on the amount of money that you have. So, like you said, you know, house sitting, like that's amazing three weeks in Zurich and you're going to look after some cats and you get to stay in someone's home. If you were to do that in a five-star hotel, my goodness, that could break, you know, your entire budget for the year.
1: Absolutely. And it's, it's funny when we tell people like Vietnam, for instance, we, we, at this point, we spent about six weeks in Vietnam and we tell people about the cost in Vietnam for a hotel. And uh, I, I've done videos and shared it with my buddies back home. And I'm just like, Hey, if you guys want to, you want to travel cheap. Um, I mean, Vietnam is unbelievable. When you tell people that they can live like a king for $800 a month, they can't wrap their head around it. They just they're like, "Ah, I don't know, I I can't really see it. But it's like, no. Based on the the food you get, the great culture that's there, it's a scooter it's a scooter environment where everybody's on a scooter for five bucks a day if you need to go anywhere, and you can have nice housing because Vietnam is just um, it's it's exploding for tourism currently and there's so much competition, so the prices are staying low, and it's an amazing cultural experience. And if you talk to non-traditional travelers, they just can't wrap their head around it, and they think that the, the quality is gonna decrease in some way, but it's like, no, it doesn't have to that much. Yeah, you're gonna get different levels of a hotel if you're gonna spend a certain amount, but I mean, let's be real. In order to afford this, and I'm saying this in the most humble way possible, in order to afford, what Nikki and I are currently doing, we had to make a lot of, we had to make some money. You know what I mean? We were both very successful at our jobs and we, we, we performed at a certain level. So we were used to a certain lifestyle. So as we translate that on the road, yeah. And sometimes we do slum. We do, we've, we've done hot hostels. We've done certain things that are putting us outside of our, our typical comfort zone. And that's great because that that helps us from a mental perspective, have the ability to overcome those things on the road as well. But we've also done uh, had some very nice stays at a, at a low 35 to $40 a night range. So you don't have to um, spend a ton of money. And we were very much a hotel stay um, type of couple for, for a long time. We're going on 13 years of marriage now. And we did that for a while. But now that we've done what we're doing as far as Airbnbs and, and kind of the economy types of stays we're doing, I can't imagine us ever going back to that lifestyle where we're spending a lot of money on hotels. Cause I think that sometimes the experience you get out of the Airbnbs is even better than you could a hotel. Now we do, I'll say this, Mikel, we do love hotels. We had a buddy, uh, we did a road trip in Ireland a couple of months ago and my buddy had so many points cause he was, he's in the technology space. And he had all these points built up cause he traveled all the time um, for hotels. And uh, so he put us up during our, our nine days around Ireland, he put us up in hotels every every night. And that was nice, I'm not gonna lie. To stay in these gorgeous locations around Ireland was extremely nice. It was a treat to do that, but at the same time, we understand that we're trying to do this for a longer period of time and make our money stretch. So we're trying to make the right decisions along the way.
0: Yeah, being able to balance you know, the time versus the money. There's a lot of options out there. You just need to be a bit creative. Absolutely. Okay, we're just gonna take a quick break. So if you guys haven't joined Expat Money Forum yet, then I don't know what I need to do to get you guys to go on this. The conversations in this forum are just unbelievable. The networking is fantastic. There's so much things being shared with the group that honestly, it's more than just me. It's more than just this podcast. It has grown to a life of its own. We have over 2,000 people in our private group discussing things like immigration, asset protection, travel, food, culture history everything about being an expat and going overseas there's tons of work being done on plan b residencies on different passports we're even talking about sim cards international sim cards and the best places to get your internet if you're a digital nomad and you're traveling around the world There are so many things that are being shared by people who are actually in different countries, who are digital nomads, who are expats, who have gone offshore, and there's just so much there. So I'm really excited about it. I hope you can see that i'm really thrilled about this group because it's just more than i ever expected and a massive shout out to you if you are part of the group and you are contributing and helping other people who are looking to get where you are you are an awesome person i really really appreciate it so if you guys want to get involved if you want to join the conversation then go to expatmoneyforum.com or on facebook directly you can search for expat money forum you'll find us there we should come up on the very first page And yeah, join the group, join the conversation. Lots happening there. Okay, let's jump back into today's interview. So talk to me a little bit about your podcast and what you guys are doing with your free time with writing and things like this that you mentioned.
1: Yeah, so the idea is early on, we were documenting with the blog and the website and and really trying to just capture the stories and the experiences we were having in these different locations because our friends and family wanted to see it. And I knew as we started this, journey, I knew I had a a vision, a plan of what we're doing in it and the ability to share that because I hoped and I assumed other people would want to tap into it to understand how we went about it and what we were experiencing throughout the process. Because I'm confident that what we're doing is kind of this mid-career retirement and kind of the pause. I think it's going to become more and more common, not only with the millennial and that generation, but I think also the the current 30-year-olds. I think that this is something that they'll want to do um, more often and kind of just pause their careers, because uh, I think we all understand now that we're going to work longer. We're going to work into our 70s, likely, um, because we're going to live longer. If, if you don't think you're going to be able to live to your 100, 110, then you've got the wrong mindset. Like I really, truly believe that we're going to live long lives. So I'm prepared to earn for a very long time. So I think that as people will begin to want to kind of pause their careers, that what Nikki and I are doing is going to become a lot more common And uh, hopefully they're going to need people to turn to that have done it. And so I I knew that by setting up passportjoy.com, our website, and be able to kind of document this. And then after we were a year on the road, we started the podcast to kind of tell our story, how we're doing it, and the journeys we're having and kind of just telling our story and documenting it for others. It's given us a platform to just reach other people that that might be dreaming of doing this and might want to experience the, the cool things that we're getting to see um, because we worked hard and saved our money. And it's been, I guess the, the biggest reward has been the emails we've received and our friends reaching out that we've seen take big life jumps. We just had a call this morning with our friends that now live in Australia and they told us they lived in the States for a very long time and they moved to Australia and they, they told uh, uh, Nikki and I that we helped inspire them in a way to make that leap of faith that they had been talking about for a while based on our courage to leave leave our careers. So those little things along the way, it just makes what we're doing, because it, it's a lot of time. And I know you, you have a podcast, and but it's a lot of time and effort as you're traveling the world to continue to do the cycle of a podcast, find good places that have terrible Wi-Fi and connect and build out the content and put it out there. So it's not easy. And we're at the stage of the game where there's not a revenue stream coming in. This is more like a vision, a plan and a, a hope that we can monetize this in some way that helps us continue to travel or it's just a great way to document so our nephews and nieces can listen to it later in life and Nikki and I can reflect on it as well in 20 years and listen to all the cool things that we did at this phase of our life.
0: Well, that reminds me of Gary Vanderchuck. He always says don't create a document. That sounds like what you're doing. You're really documenting your travels. And then through that, you're able to inspire others.
1: Yeah, that's the hope. And I tell you, to be so early in our process, because we're, we're really early in this process, I believe, as far as sharing what we're experiencing, the response has been really good and really strong. So we're happy with that.
0: So what are your goals with the podcast then? Are you looking to monetize it? Are you looking to turn this into a revenue stream that will encourage you to travel further and more?
1: I think that if I can make money in any any way I do things, I'm I'm kind of I'm kind of built that way. <laughs> I I, lo- I love making money. I love figuring out ways to monetize, and I love figuring out ways to kind of I'd call it cheat the system because what we're doing is so much fun. But yeah, yeah, that's that is part of it. That's a goal for sure. I'd be lying if I didn't say that. But at the same time, it's the it's the ability to become a better storyteller, and the ability to to improve on my audio and to, to help me, I guess, advance that skill in my life is probably the, the biggest reason I wanted to do it because I tell you, uh, Mikkel, I had a lot of kind of fear and anxiety getting into the process and we, we delayed it for a little while because I, I, I packed the mic. Now, like I said, we only have a 46 liter bag each and um, part of that, I packed the microphone. I, I knew the microphone I wanted and I packed it in the bag and I carried it for almost a year before we broke it out and started doing podcasts. So there was a bit of of fear and anxiety around the process of doing that. But I knew that if I wanted to better my skills and get better at telling stories and and get better with the audible word and and sharing what we're doing to help me get better later in life, whether it's public speaking or if I go back into the the corporate world of sales, it's all marketing is. It's just telling stories. And I was good at it in a way at my career, obviously, to, to do what I did in a one on one fashion, I was always really good at clients, whether it was over a meal or drinks or cigars or whatnot, having the ability to to connect one on one and you know, kind of convince or persuade folks to, to buy what I was selling. You know what I mean? But when it came to presentations in front of a bigger group, I always struggled. And it was it was a weakness of mine. And I know that based on the audience thinking and I have now, we don't I mean we don't have an audience that we can speak to unless I was trying to do like Toastmasters around the world and try to coordinate all that. So for me, the idea of a podcast is the easiest way for me to work on this skill and try to get better at it and understand ways that I can improve to, to be a better storyteller. Um, So that was, I guess that was the main reason I wanted to do it. And then, but I knew that if we did it the right way and we worked hard at it and we, we can grow it. then I, I, I just assume it's just like anything. If you put passion behind it, and people feel you're, that you're genuine about what you're doing, then the, the finances will, will come at some point.
0: I'm a big proponent for reading and for taking courses and learning things. But there's some things that you really need to do yourself. You know, this is, you know, as you said, public speaking, speaking in front of a, an audience, speaking with a microphone, doing interviews – these types of things are not something you're going to be able to read about in a book. Like, yes, you can read a book and it will tell you about pitch and cadence and tempo and things like this. And I've read dozens and dozens of books about it, but nothing is ever going to replace actually having conversations with people, actually getting up on stage and making presentations. That's something that you just need to do. And I think you're right. Podcasting is a fantastic medium for honing these types of skills.
1: Absolutely. I know you're a big Tony Robbins guy and my wife and I actually, we went to unleash the power within before our taking the step we went in november in san jose of 2016 before we left in february 2017 but i i remember um when tony robbins reflects on his early life as a public speaker he talks about doing two or three events a day because he a day. Yeah, that's right he because he knew he had to gain so much ground on the competition so fast and i tell you it's it's one of those things that uh, I'm really big at like how you do something how you do everything, and if you if, if you put the time in, um, positive things will happen. And I, I saw that in my career at my company, where I, where I ended up being a good um, technology sales executive. But the reality is, and Nikki can tell you, those those first two years were brutal. I mean, it's just it it was just I mean, big corporate sales is difficult, and when you come home after receiving so many no's all day long, it is hard. But the way that I overcame it was instead of putting in an eight-hour day, I would put in eleven and twelve-hour days on a regular basis. So the first, my first two years where I struggled were actually, I mean, if you looked at the hours that I put in, were actually three or four years. And so I, I did put in the work to to improve, and that's the that's the way that I'm I see this as well, and that's why um, I had the chance to go on some podcasts that really stretched my ability to kind of think on my feet. I went on a kind of a sketch podcast that. We we were playing our roles that I would have never done. But it's one of those things that I looked at the opportunity when, when the gentleman reached out to me and I said, you know what, this is something I should absolutely say no to because I'm so scared to do it because it's out of who I think I am as an individual. So that means absolutely, yes, I will do this because it's going to help me overcome one more thing, one more fear in my life.
0: And do you find with traveling, it's actually helped build that confidence that you're able to do things like this now?
1: You know, it's, I actually had an awkward conversation with, with an American about this same thing. And I think it's uh, the, the confidence. And I said almost the exact same thing you said. The idea that you can put me almost anywhere in the world and I've built a skill set where I have the ability to, to communicate and adjust to almost anybody in front of me. And I have the, the mindset that anything is possible in, in, a, in a growth mindset of I can get the skills needed to be successful anywhere that I that you put me and s- look at the business opportunities that are there and then either start a business and grow a business or at the minimal, like you're saying, figure out a way to survive for the next week and get food in my stomach and meet a few people in town that can point me in the right direction to be successful. I don't know if that comes from travel. I don't know if it comes from early in life where... I came from a military family, so we moved a lot. So I went to to a, um, I went to three high schools. I went to several elementary schools. I've lived in 10 states in America. I went to I ended up going to five universities for basketball uh, just because I jumped around a little bit, and I ended up getting my, my MBA for coaching basketball. So I don't know if it's from that and all the constant change in my life at that point that I understood that as you go through change, people are basically the same but everybody's wired a little bit different on how, they, how hard they want to work for things. But I always felt like I could outwork people or I can kind of have an ability to be creative and resourceful to solve problems. So to your point, I don't know if that came from my early travel. because My early travel in life was essentially moving and finding new ways to, to make friends quickly because that was always an issue as, as I would move and I have to adjust. Or if it came later in life as I started to kind of feed my brain more with other books and education, and then the international travel kicks in, and Nikki and I put ourselves in in different scenarios, and I've, I've built that confidence to know that look, we're all we're all wired about the same, but everybody, some people just have access to different things than we're used to at home.
0: Well, I've seen people shut down on stressful situations and difficult situations. Now, whether that be at a job or be traveling around the world, I've seen people shut down. They don't know how to cope. When something really, really hard happens to me, honestly, and I'm not I'm not trying to brag or anything, like, I fucking smile, you know, like... I, I can't wait to get into these problems and deal with them and and dissect them and and figure out the best way to handle this kind of stuff.
1: Yeah, and I think that just that comes with the confidence and the time and the effort and um, I guess the the know that you deserve what you're about to to take on and the know that you can you can handle it. And it's 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 a tough thing because I, I understand what you're saying because I've been in those scenarios where people just. They, they either, they can't take the, the criticism that they're coming away or they think it's all about them and they don't, they don't uh, need, they, they don't, they don't know that they can adjust to take away their ego and just say, okay, let's just solve this problem and get through it. So that, I think that's, I think it is very much an ego thing. And I think that that comes from travel and exposure to problems and really just exposure to the trials of life and to know that. Everybody that is successful has failed a ton, but in order to get through those failures, it's okay to just shake it off and to kind of, kind of kind, of learn from that. Like there's whatever the phrase is, there's no losing, there's, there's only learning. Like that, that mentality of you got to grow, you know what I mean? I think that's what separates a lot of people is they get caught up in, am I being judged? And that's where kind of they, they break down a little bit. And I tell you, I struggled with that. I, I, I dealt with that personally. I've had a a couple of, I guess you can call them, failures in in startups that I've attempted to do. But also in my early struggles in my my career, I talked about a lot of those meetings that I went on. I've always been really good at getting clients to to want to meet with me face to face and have dinner or drinks, whatever. But I was always early on. I was new to technology, so I didn't even know what to talk about in these meetings. So I would go with I would get meetings with directors and even um, VP levels and get them out to lunch and, or dinner and not even know how to talk about technology. So I, fa- I failed over and over in these meetings. and they, I'd have one really good meeting. I'd talk about a lot of sports. I'd get to know them. But at the end of the day, I couldn't sell them anything. And so I did this over and over. And, and after a while, I was so scared to leverage the talent around me to bring smart people in those meetings because I was so nervous that I would get exposed that, I, I was, that that part of the skill was lacking that I could not have these conversations around the technology. Where at the time, I should have just realized that, hey, Matt, you're really good at this part of your job. You're really good at getting people to meet with you. You should leverage the the smart people to have those technical conversations to take the the conversations to the next level. Keep doing what you're doing as far as relationship goes. But then just from that support, as a team, you can help close deals. And then once that clicked for me, once I understood that I didn't have to do everything and I, I could take a step away from my ego and we could do this as a team. That's when I accelerated my career quickly and it helped me learn better as well because I could hear these other people pitching our story, pitching technology, getting deep into technology. And it helped me just accelerate my learning process by learning from them as well.
0: Yeah, because trying to be a jack of all trades is never going to do anyone any good. If you're an expert in one thing, and like you said, communication and being able to build rapport and relationships with people, I'm sure a lot of these technology people would kill for that type of skill. That is something that's incredibly valuable.
1: Yes, and that, that was usually the case is that I brought that to the table and they would see what I could do really well and almost effortlessly to build these relationships and rapport. And I would look at them the same way on how they understood a, a full stack of technology and, can, and could work through a, a business solution rather quickly on the spot with a whiteboard and a marker. So it was, it was a perfect relationship. And over time, I got a chance to grow my skills in a technology way, but I would also take the time as they would ask me questions on how I did certain things um, to talk to them about the kind of the behind the scenes things on sales and help them grow their skill set in case they wanted to to kind of move into a more sales role as well.
0: I think it's super important to make sure that people are focusing in on this one thing and to make sure that the skills that they are focusing in on are not commodities. You know, being able to recite a technical specification from some product, you know, that's, I don't want to put anyone down here, but, you know, that's something that a lot of people can do. But building a relationship with someone That's not something that everyone can do. That's something that needs to really be developed. And if you can have expertise in that, it really doesn't matter what industry you are in, you will always need to communicate with other human beings. And this really circles back to our point before about stepping up on stage or getting in front of a microphone. You know, that type of communication is just so paramount to success.
1: Absolutely, and that's, that's why I liked technology so much when I first got the ability to join this company. And to do those things, because I knew once I got in and started to understand technology at a base level, I knew and I and I understood my competition. The other sales guys that were in the office as I was waiting outside and they would walk out and I would walk in to understand how I could differentiate myself from those guys. I knew that technology would always change. And I knew that even though that somebody would have a deep Rolodex or a deep, deep set of relationships, it mattered, but at the same time, or if they understood technology a certain way, I knew that it would, that mattered, but technology would continue to evolve and change. So if they didn't have the ability to adapt to the new technology and the ability to adapt to what their clients' needs were, they would fail. So I, I, I saw that as an advantage. So once I got into the, the industry, I said I knew that if I could outwork people and leverage my ability to build relationships quickly, and stay on that, because that's not something you can just rest on. Um, relationships take time. It's just like anything, a marriage, friendship, a brotherhood, whatever it is, you've got to spend the time in those in order to build them. I knew that I could outwork people in that regard, and then the technology would come with me. I knew I could, I could learn whatever was put in front of me from a technology aspect, but it was, it was more of outworking the people to make sure my clients knew that 24-7 I was available, and it, I was somebody that they would want to work with.
0: Well, listen, I love the Tim Ferriss type of four-hour workweek idea. I think that that's a really romantic notion. I've never been able to implement anything even close to that in my own life. And I don't think I've ever seen another successful entrepreneur who has either, you know, like you said, compressing time. If other people are working eight hours a day and you're working 12 hours a day, you're going to have a massive advantage over them. This is just a numbers game. You know, you're going to be able to do things in a much shorter amount of days, maybe more hours, but less days. And learn these types of skills and build these types of relationships and really become an expert. Like we talk about over and over again, like I have to hit people over the head with this kind of stuff because it really is important. You have to put in the work. You have to put in the time. You need to read. You need to study. These types of things are really important. And if you want to get a lag up on anyone else, whether it be entrepreneurship or sales or anything in the world, you need to focus on this stuff.
1: Absolutely. I read a, uh, it was an article They talked about Kobe Bryant and the things he went through year after year and how, how he treated his workout process and the fact that he got up at like 4.30 in the morning and then he would have a workout and then he would rest and have another workout and then he'd rest and have another workout and then they would have their basic, their Lakers practice. And he was talking about how he got so much better year after year because just that time and effort that he was putting into to honing his skills – and it's a, just a continual process. And if you don't put in that time, that's how he would separate himself. Because that's the thing is like when you're looking at good getting to great and then great getting to excellent. I mean, it begins, the adjustments get smaller and smaller what you can do. So that means you have to put even more and more time in. And that's how you, the constant improvement and the, the things you're talking about, continuing education and, and just not resting on the, the what you've achieved in the past, because the reality is, is you got to continue to grow, or you're going to get passed up at some point.
0: I agree with you a hundred percent. So, talk to me, Matt, a little bit about my listeners who might be sitting in a office right now, listening to this show. They want to make a change. They want to follow in your footsteps. They want to travel the world. What type of advice can you
1: give them? I think the the first thing um, to understand is is you deserve it. I think that I can remember different phases of my life where. The first time that I made six figures, I can, I can remember the moment where I was standing at when I when I had that self-talk to say, I deserve to make this money. And until you understand that you deserve to achieve something, you're not going to get there. You can, you can have the growth mindset. You can do all the things right. And you can position yourself to be successful in any way, whether it's financial, with your family, spiritually, whatever that is, whatever success means to you. You can do all you can to, to put yourself there. But if you don't truly be- believe you deserve it, it's never going to happen. And I think that the the phases of my life where I looked around the other people that were doing what I wanted to do, and I said to myself, look, they did this. That's not somebody else. That's not out of my range of ability. I, de- I deserve this. I can do this. Then my life began to adjust in that way, and those things began to happen for me. And I think that's what you have to do. If you're working your, your tail off at your job you're saving your money and you, you want to achieve these things, tell you, if you have that self-talk to say, look, this is, Matt was a regular guy and he made this happen and now he's traveling full-time and this is something you want to do. You deserve to be able to make that happen for yourself. Don't think it's just somebody else's life. Oh, that that's that guy traveling the world. That's not me. I've got these responsibilities at home. I could never do that you deserve to, to to have those things.
0: And do you see any negative leaving your job and traveling the world? Do you think that it's going to be too hard to rejoin the workforce afterwards? Do you think it's going to be you know, are you going to be too far removed or do you think like like what's your opinion about this? Do you think that there is going to be any negative to taking this type of break?
1: I think the the risks involved I think they I think they're absolutely there. The reality is I'm I'm going to unique situation for the company that i left where i still get texts from my former ceo he's he's a, a fan of ours and, and and what we're doing and we put in the time and effort with that company to kind of build that trust that i would i will achieve at, the, at a high level when i get back but there there is a bit of anxiety i mean nikki and i talk about like if there is a time when we go back and we have to make that, that adjustment first of all it's going to be difficult coming off the road and and getting back into a cycle of of the, the world that we were in so it's so it's one of those things where we're we're staying very open on our options um beyond this life on the road like what does this mean for us but it's also if we do make those adjustments to get back into the world i think i'm building skills that are going to make me more marketable I, honestly i think i'm going to be better when i get back i'm going to be fresh and be ready to achieve at a higher level i'm building all these skills as we travel, the resourcefulness, the budget mentality. And I've said this before, I truly believe that we're treating our travel as a startup, like the idea of all the skills you need to build a good startup company to do what we're doing. And all the, the way that Nikki and I are handling this, we're handling this like a startup. I actually built an LLC before we left because there's certain things that I feel like we should write off. And that's part of creating the blog and the podcast that it gives us a chance to write some things off. But it truly is. It's a startup. I mean, all the things we face day to day, we treat it as a business in a way because it's very much a, a thing that um, it's helping us build skills. It's helping us. We have to have a, a, a smart budget on how we do things. And uh, it's, it's going to help us grow in, in a way that we're going to be more marketable when we get back
0: Well, I think it comes down a lot of times to perspective. Some people might look at two and a half years out of the workforce as a major negative, and maybe employers would not like these types of things. But my perspective is that you have a unique experience. You have a unique way of looking at the world, that your competitors, that your the other people who are going for the same jobs as you, you know, or the same business as you – they're not going to have. So if you try to look at things as an advantage and not as a disadvantage, obviously that type of mindset shift can really make a big difference in things.
1: Yeah. And I think it's the way you, upon our return, it'll be the way we position our story. I mean, if if you can't tell a good story about two and a half years on the road, well, shame on you. Because that's, if you can't come back with all the reasons why that you're changed and you're better for the market, then you're probably not doing travel the way that you should do it. Or you're probably not expanding your mind during the process. If you just go sit on a beach for six months and do nothing and you come back and you tell a potential employer, like, hey, what'd you do? Well, we went to Bali and I kind of just hung out on the beach for six months. Then, yeah, maybe you didn't. Yeah,
0: Smoked pot and then just did nothing. Yeah, It's totally different than, you know, being on the road and traveling, like backpacking properly putting yourself out there.
1: Absolutely. So that's what I kind of joke with my some of my old sales buddies back home when we had a chance to catch up is people will answer my phone a lot faster now. Because <laughs> the biggest the biggest problem with uh, attempting to, to get in front of anybody and try to try to sell a product or a service is just that first meeting and, and be able to, to, to have that conversation and take it to the next level. But with a cool story, it's going to be a lot easier to get in front of people because they'll actually want to not only talk about the travel, but then it'll give me a chance to kind of leverage whatever service or, or product I'm trying to sell. So I think, I think it's going to be huge and all the things that we're learning in the process. And, and like I said, we're, we're not even sure what this next chapter is going to bring because we're working on creative projects. Nikki's working on a book now and I've, I've had a chance to work on some creative things that are, are just neat and fun, but also I'm getting a chance to expand our, our ability and I'm, I'm working on new technologies and, and doing things like that. So it's, it's neat. It's fun.
0: That's super exciting. So listen, Matt, Say that I come over to Zurich and I bring a couple of the money Christos, you know, nice big fat ring gauge. And we're sitting down and smoking some cigars. And I lean in and I'm like, Matt, Matt, what's that one secret to success? What's that one secret to success that if you told me and I told anyone else in the world, you'd have to kill me? What's that one secret?
1: You know, I touched on it earlier. And it's, it's the idea that you've you got to understand you deserve your best life. You have to work really hard at it, right? It's like Jim Rohn. I love Jim Rohn. I love Jim Rohn too. <laughs> and he says, you gotta, you gotta learn to work harder on yourself than your job. And I think that's the, if you have that mindset of, cause so many people just look at, they want to improve so they can just do their job better. But it's like, no, if you want, if you work on improving to make your life better, then you can absolutely change your life. And it's, it's a lot of the things and philosophies you've repeated on your show about mindset and the idea of having a, a growth mindset and understanding that anything is possible but in the end, if you ask for one secret, it's, it's not only the, all the hard work that you put in to um, to get to a certain place, but then to know that you deserve it, that you deserve the success that's coming your way. And it's OK to think that you deserve that best life. I, that's my secret, because if if I didn't think that I deserved these things, I probably would have never made the big jump to to achieve them. And that's what has really changed my life.
0: I love it. Brilliant, Matt.
1: If people want to
0: reach out to you, if they want to learn more about your podcast, about your blog, about your writing, where can we send them?
1: The easiest place is to go to Passport Joy, just as it sounds, passportjoy.com. And there you'll find our podcast where we share all of our stories, our tips on saving money, ideas on creating a better experience with my wife and I. Um, Nikki, like I said, is a clinical pharmacist, so she has medical advice on there and uh, talk about some of the books we we love and read and Passportjoy.com is where you'll find everything.
0: Fantastic. Thanks so much for your time today, Matt. I really appreciate it. Fantastic conversation. And we'll talk soon, yeah?
1: Thank you so much. It's been a lot of fun.
0: Hey, everyone. Mikkel here. I want to remind you that if you go to expatmoneyshow.com, you're going to be able to download our special report. It's called 19 International Strategies to Grow and Protect Your Wealth Abroad. It has been a project of mine I have been working on for maybe four years now and I constantly update this with the newest and best strategies. Now it's really different than a lot of other special reports or books out there because this one is really short and it is short on purpose. What I want to do is kind of highlight to you the best of the best strategies that are out there in the world and then where you can go for additional information or how you can get involved in these things. So instead of writing a 500-page special report on this, which probably chances are no one is going to read it, this is really highly condensed information. I've actually put it in an infographic. It's an infographic special report. Uh, It has helped thousands upon thousands of people really get a grasp of being an expat and what type of things are out there to protect your assets, professionals that you should be working with, investments, real estate, these types of things. So it's called 19 International Strategies to Grow and Protect Your Wealth Abroad. You can pick it up at expatmoneyshow.com. You'll see it. It's on the very first page at the very top. All you need to do is put in your name and email address. You're going to get a chance to actually join my private email list, EMS Pulse. And there's just so much great things that are shared on there. It's completely free. There's no funnel. There's no trick to this. There's no credit card needed, anything like that. It's just a good resource for you, my listener, who I love and adore, and I want to do right by you guys. So go to expatmoneyshow.com, pick this up. Let me know what you think. I'll talk to you soon. This episode may be over, but your journey to greatness continues by visiting our webpage and signing up for our newsletter. For convenient access to new episodes, show notes, and other crucial resources, visit expatmoneyshow.com. We look forward to you joining us on the next episode of the Expat Money Show. Safe travels. My friends over at serenitynewsletter.com have a special opportunity open to those interested in learning advanced investing techniques in the crypto space. This membership is of the highest quality and is run by a dear friend of mine who happens to manage one of the most successful crypto hedge funds in the world. Crypto is the future, and those who make smart plays now have an opportunity to earn life-changing returns. Go to serenitynewsletter.com to watch a special video presentation now. That's serenitynewsletter.com.